It's Thursday, July 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. And for Motley Fool Options and Pro Canada from the Great White North, Jim Gillies. Good to see you. Good to be seen. Thanks for making it over the border. It's not very white right now, I'll tell you. It's kind of a dull brown. You could probably light my lawn on fire. <laughs> wow, that's... All right, that's a that's an image that we'll just have to try and move on from. Uh, we've got we've got some potential deal making in the news. We've got uh, earnings season slowly but surely getting off to a start, and that's that's probably as good a place as any to start. Let's go with J.P. Morgan Chase as the big banks start to tick off their earnings. Uh, Bill Parker, second quarter profits up pretty big. Uh, yeah, they uh, they came in above. Estimates and uh, that is good news for J.P. Morgan shareholders. Uh, things are going a little bit uh, better than than were anticipated. Uh, Jim, what did you see on this one? Well, remember what was it? Three weeks ago, that Brexit was the end of Western civilization. <laughs> it kind of was. Um, so apparently, uh, J.P. Morgan can profit well from the end of Western civilization because they uh, a lot of their. Uh, performance in this quarter, they're they're tying down to trading revenues on the uh, associated with the the surge in volatility both before and after Brexit. So apparently, the decline of the Western civilization is good for business. If you're J.P. Morgan, I think they were they were calling for about 11 percent uh, increase in trading revenue. They actually clocked in at 23 percent. So you know, combine that with uh, the fact that the, uh, their their capital uh, base or their asset base at their consumer the consumer banking, whatever, was up good. They had a uh, a surge in um, mortgage refinancing. They were talking about mortgage and, and anticipated uh, and anticipate more, uh, probably because you know interest rates again getting driven down again by Brexit. You know the the most the worst thing to happen uh, in in at least three weeks. Um, so overall, yeah, it looked pretty good. And as a as a as a uh, as a warrant owner of J.P. Morgan, I'm very happy with this quarter. We'll see how it plays out with the rest of the banks when they report, obviously. But but this is sort of one data point supporting what we heard in the wake of Brexit, which was among all the questions that were being asked. One of the questions being asked was, "Wait a minute, are U.S. banks prepared for this?" And pretty resoundingly, from from no less an authority than the you know, the, like you, yes, you had the the banks themselves coming out and giving interviews, that sort of thing. Their CEOs. You also had the U.S. Treasury Secretary basically saying, "Yeah, U.S. banks are much in much better shape, much more able to withstand anything going on with Brexit than you know than what we saw." Because immediately, mm-hmm. a lot of people's minds went to 2008, 2009. Of course, which, which was a, I think maybe it's too early to to close the books on that one. But I always thought that the comparison of 2016 to 2008 under any guise was bizarre. Yes, uh, that is. Early in 2008, way before the fall, every single data point that you could look at was falling apart. We were losing jobs, uh, retail sales were down, uh, housing prices were already collapsing mm-hmm. in, in the early part of 2008. And so, when the, there was some market weakness in February of this year, if you can remember all the way back to that, and Somebody, a Royal Bank of Scotland, I think, or uh, sell everything. Sell everything. <laughs> it should just sell everything. It, it, and actually, it said sell almost everything. And let's give them credit because the thing they said not to sell was government bonds, which would have been a good thing to buy, uh, as interest rates have have continued to decline. So, not entirely wrong about 
what they said to hold on to. Uh, but sell everything else, as I say, we can't was, close the books on that. It's not great advice. Up though. to now, that does not turn out to be mm. great advice. But they, they were saying 2016 looks a lot like 2008. And I was, without having read all the report, and, and I didn't think that the report was, was thin or, or shallow. It was thought-provoking. Uh, but I thought, wow, there are way more things in the U.S. that look nothing like 2008 mm-hmm. than things that do look like 2008. No, I agree, and 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 uh, you know, ironically, perhaps uh, where something does look a little like 2008 it would be in the uh, the housing markets and isolated pockets in Canada, uh, Toronto and Vancouver being uh, exhibits A and B. But uh, the, the the one thing I thought was interesting in in the J.P. Morgan release was that the CEO Jamie Dimon uh, has basically indicated uh, that they you know they foresee keeping their European headquarters in London. And I find that interesting just because of the whole Brexit thing where it looked like, and I certainly thought I probably contributed to this, um, but you know, them taking themselves out of the European Union, you're going to start seeing a migration of the large centers and the large capital flows more onto the continent if England does leave or Britain leaves. Uh, so I thought that was interesting that they were saying, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to stay in London. It's like, okay, well, I mean, you can always change that in the future, but that's one more you know, anti-Brexit's going to be a big deal to Britain, or, or it bolsters Britain. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That seems to be, and I, I haven't listened to the call, but that seems to be completely consistent with everything I've read about mm-hmm. Jamie Dimon's personality. Just There's just a little bit of, among other ingredients in that, there's just a little bit of stubbornness. Like, mm-hmm. no, we're not moving. <laughs> we're staying in London. Well, and, and you can, what are the, the comparables right now to London and England being in the United Kingdom in whatever form the United Kingdom Ends up existing, whether it is with Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, or some, or but not all, or give give a few more votes to all that. And uh, what what's the comp? And I, I suppose Antwerp. Switzerland, right? How does Switzerland get by not being in the European Union? Mm-hmm. Well enough. I mean, there's they, not they, some, they, they like some okay. weird. Oh my God, this this just doesn't function at all anymore. Well, everyone needs their secret bank accounts, right? So well, they're they're cracking down on those a little bit. <laughs> so they say. So we say. Mm-hmm. How are they getting by? I think part of how uh, Switzerland is getting by is by not having to pay for a military. That's just my hunch. As the Canadian in the room, I'm going to recuse myself from this kind of discussion. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a hunch. Like if, if, if you're looking at the balance no, sheet of Switzerland, unlike a lot of other countries, there there's not a lot of expenses on the military are, side. Are there Swiss major league Swiss banks which are able to function despite not being part of the European Union and having a different currency? And the answer, of course, is yes. Now, Credit Suisse is not exactly. They're not. not they're not Wells Fargo. Right yeah, exactly. Now, but, they're not uh, J.P. Morgan, but still. All right, let's move from earnings. We'll get back to earnings because Yum Brands reported, and we'll definitely want to get into that. But let's let's look at some potential deals uh, that are in the making uh, with two very different companies. One is Monsanto, and the other is Cabela's. Um, Monsanto, uh, the huge agribusiness, is looking to get huger because the reports are they are looking to buy the agriculture solutions unit of BASF, which is the German conglomerate. Um, in exchange for some newly issued Monsanto shares, explain to me why Monsanto's oh. stock is up five percent in the wake of this news. I'm 
going to try to be nice here. Um, you don't have to be nice, but, my, we, but well, we, we do try to... Who are you going to be nice to? Uh, that's a good question. You don't have to be my, nice, but we try to limit the profanity. So. <laughs> Monsanto is... So So my, my stalking horse thesis, I suppose, here, which uh, Bill will refute uh, momentarily... Well, it's wrong. That's why. <laughs> there we go. Um, Let him get through. Is that one, oh, no. once yeah, a company yeah. once a company is revealed to be an acquisition candidate, uh, you largely stop worrying about the day to day operation of the business. Uh, you as an investor, and you start worrying about okay, so how is the acquisition or takeout going to take its form? And so back in May, uh, there was some talk. Now, Monsanto is in kind of a, a, a lull in the agricultural cycle right now. So the stock's not doing great. They've already walked back their earnings guidance for the current fiscal year. They have an August fiscal year. They've walked it back twice already. Um, and so into this uh, you know, lull in the business and a, and, a, and a somewhat depressed stock price, you had Bayer, maker of aspirins, because of course, you know, aspirins and frankenfoods go well together. Um, they are they made they made an offer for Monsanto at $122 a share when Monsanto was under 100. Apparently, nobody aside from the CEO of of Bayer, who's been on the job for all three months, I think at this point, uh, believes that that's a real offer. But he insists it is a real offer, and he's pushing, he's he's fighting back against a lot of their shareholders who don't want to see the deal. And Monsanto, I think, probably thinks the deal's a little low too. I've seen like, you know, you probably get another $20 or so. And so they basically are going shopping to, to make it more difficult to either A, force out a better price, uh, or B, take be an acquirer themselves. So uh, essentially Bayer has to go away. And, and this latest thing is to going after BASF's uh, division. I'm not really sure I like the idea of issuing shares at, you know, $102, $103 a share. When uh, they've recently completed a l- very large leveraged buyback, uh, they took out I think about fifteen or twenty percent of their stock uh, at higher prices than today, and now we're going to issue it at lower prices. That's not a great thing. But I, I think this is something of a ruse. They're just I think they want to stay independent. I don't think they want to be bought by either uh, BASF or Bayer, and so I think that they're they're trying to avoid being you know taken over by somebody. But you know, we look in the, in the past. Look at Syngenta when they were they were rumored to be taken out by Monsanto. They they found another buyer. Uh, you look at the whole allergen Valiant Pharmaceutical, which now seems quaint in retrospect. Uh, allergen found another buyer, and so I think Monsanto is trying to avoid being taken. And now for the counterpoint, we'll throw over to Bill. <laughs> well, I, Who's so argue? when you brought this up beforehand, uh, I thought, uh, well, what was the last? Sort of rumored takeout company that I addressed on this show, and that that's uh, Hershey, uh, the Hershey mm-hmm. company, and I don't think that the thesis applies. If the thesis is, you know, a strong, all, this always happens. Well, I would say Hershey is a good candidate for a company that uh, once it's uh, rumored to be in the crosshairs of somebody else, nevertheless doesn't get acquired. Now it may be the, not yet. It may be the it's. <laughs> It can do whatever it wants. It may be the exception that proves the rule. That is, uh, generally, when big money is on the table in terms of an increased uh, share price offer, that that puts pressure on the company to respond to shareholder demands that that money be taken. So, in Hershey's case, because of the way that the uh, Hershey Trust uh, owns the voting. Uh, stake in the company and has no financial pressure on it. 
that is, its its only responsibility really is to the Hershey, uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania community and to uh, the Hershey, the Milton Hershey School. And there's more than enough money to cover uh, the Milton Hershey School for from now to the end of time. Uh, th- there is no financial pressure. So where that usually exists in this situation, it does not exist there. Uh, other examples, you know. We can have people send some in uh, of companies that have been rumored to be uh, in the crosshairs and nevertheless uh, never get acquired. What about Cabela's? That's another company that we had talked about in the past. Uh, that uh, a very different business from Monsanto, uh, sort of the the outdoor uh, gear and equipment company. Uh, that's one we've we've seen sort of this on again, off again. They're up for sale. They're not for sale. There's a report from the New York Post that they're they're nearing a sale to Bass Pro Shops and Goldman Sachs. Right, Bass Pro Shops has been the leading rumored candidate uh, interested in Cabela's, and once Cabela's uh, went ahead and and got assistance on fielding offers, it, it that step certainly makes it seem like it's a, a matter of time, not a matter of if, uh, for for their acquisition. And it, it keeps sort of dragging out, but I guess if Bass Pro is is the only bidder uh, at, at these prices, whatever these prices are, because there hasn't been anything formally put out there, and Goldman Sachs is also uh, in the New York Post story as a potential acquirer, I would think that that would envision separating the retail operations from the credit card operations, and that uh, Goldman Sachs is not interested in running uh, the, the stores, Bass Pro would be. Uh, so, I, I think that's where we're looking. It's, it's a rumor that, uh, it's more than a rumor, because once you've sort of engaged somebody to consider the offers that you want to see, uh, you, you're really uh, on the Does this mean you bucket. agree with me? Is that... Have you walked over to my side of the fence? No, here? no. You said always. Oh. I said here's I don't a concrete example. Always. No, I remember you saying always. It was before the. <laughs> don't listen to this podcast. It was before we started rolling. Oh, okay. You said absolutely always. Believe without me. exception. Believe me, there are plenty of people who stopped listening a long time ago. <laughs> uh, just to wrap up on this, let me let me go broad because I'm I'm curious. This idea of companies being acquired i'm i'm wondering to what degree if any this ever factors into your thinking as an investor either personally or with you know the service that you're working on where you somewhere on your list of here's why i think i should buy this stock somewhere on that list is someone is going to buy this company does that ever happen and if so what is the highest that has ever gotten on your list cuz i'm i'm where i'm really going is did you ever buy a stock because number one on your list was someone is going to buy this thing. Number one, no. Number six or seven, yeah. Uh, I had one company uh, back in uh, ye old hidden gems days, or specifically ye old hidden gems pay dirt days, for the three people who might remember that service uh, that Bill and I both worked on. It uh, there was one company uh, in there that was a small medical device company, and one of the things that I said was, uh, you know, in in this world there tend to be small medical device companies and there tend to be large medical device companies. There are no medium medical device companies because the large guys go through and look at what works, and what works, the small right. get bought by the large, and so that company, Somanetics, was in fact taken uh, taken out. Um, another company, actually from the same service, uh, SXC Health Solutions, when I believe when I wrote up in it was. Uh, 
that uh, at some point this is a consulting industry. It's in um, it's in basically uh, pharmaceutical benefit plans. So uh, you know, big U.S. health guys. Uh, and I said at some point they'll probably be taken out. I think we put it on the on the scorecard at about three dollars or something like that. And uh, truthfully, it took longer than I thought it would, but it became Systems Excellence, or it was Systems Excellence. It became SXC Health Solutions, and it became Catamaran Corporation. And I think seven or eight years later, it was finally bought out or put out of its misery at about sixty dollars a share. So it's a twenty bagger in eight years, but it was bought by United Healthcare. So you know, again, it, if if there, it's an obvious roll up candidate, you know, but but you can't you can't make the bet because again, SXC took eight years. Do you ever do this? Do you ever have that on your list? Uh, no, not as a, not as a shopping component. I mean, there is the knowledge that some industries are uh, rolling up or, or should be, uh, and then there are times when you might be interested in that, uh, the companies that are doing the acquiring, and then there are some industries where you can say, well, you know, everybody's going to get bought out sooner or later. But I would prefer, and uh, I think Jim would as well, to be invested in companies which are going to be good investments whether they get acquired or not. And if you think you've got some insight that the rest of the market doesn't on when a company is going to be acquired, I would ask how how you Mm -hmm. come to that knowledge. Now, if you're in the industry and you're seeing things going on in the industry and you say sooner or later that's got to happen, you know, to my company or to a competitor or something like that, then you may have inside, not inside information, but you may have better insight into uh, the dynamics of that. Uh, just along those lines, yesterday I taped an interview with Kayla Tausche from CNBC. It's going to be on uh, the Motley Fool Money Show this weekend. And, and this is one of the things that we talked about sort of in the second half of 2015. Uh, just the, the idea that lo- looking at uh, without giving away too much, looking at what happened with LinkedIn and sort of connecting the dots on LinkedIn being bought by Microsoft and figuring out what what are other companies that, that may be in that same pool. Uh, let's move on to Yum Brands. Second quarter profits came in slightly higher than expected. Same-store sales in China were flat, but given how same-store sales in China have gone over the last few years, I, I uh, flat is the new up, isn't it? I mean, this this, this seems like <laughs> mm-hmm. this. Uh, you know, at least in terms of the stock, uh, there's a, a slightly positive response to this. Yeah, that's a data point. That's a metric. The same store sales in China. That's pretty uh, puissant to the investing thesis. And, and pretty what? Puissant. What is puissant? It, it it means having great power or influence. Oh, okay. Which they taught you back in your. Days when you were studying for the SATs and have subsequently forgotten, no, or gotten the question wrong, equally possible. That's that's the more likely scenario. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Puissant is to wail as you know. <laughs> diameter is to, and then fill in the blank. Yeah, now you know why I didn't do so well. On aren't the your, aren't your kids like studying for the SATs now? Uh, no, the SAT is not. A, it's the ACT. That's a bigger deal. It's a bigger deal than the. So, S- so they don't have to study. You're saying, uh, based on your research. I'm a bad parent. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. I'm a bad parent who doesn't monitor his kids. Uh, sorry. Back to Yum Brands. Have you seen this thing going around Facebook where people are testing their word vocabularies or stuff? And I have seen that. that. Posting like, oh, this is how many uh, words I have in my and vocabulary. Everyone has the same score. Yeah. And, and it seems my- annoying. It's, it's within a range. Everybody who at least post their score seems to be in the top one one hundredth of one percent. If you got a bad score, are you posting? And I haven't. I've noticed you haven't posted, so I'm guessing. Anyway, 
No, I, I mean, you're right. The scores I've seen are all somewhere in the range of like 29,000 words to 31,000 words. And I, what I want to do is do a little Photoshop work and just like post something 12. where it's like, my, yeah, my, my vocabulary is 483 words. And Me just like, talk pretty one day. I've gotten my seven-year-old to take the test and see <laughs> exactly. how many words he or she knows. Right. Yum is going to be splitting into the China operation and uh, the rest of the world. And uh, so the China operation is the bigger and more profitable and uh, more volatile uh, piece of this. So same store sales is always a very big number. And Yum has gone through a few uh, food. Scares uh, a few issues with the sourcing of their food, and that has made the same kind of same store sales declines for uh, their China operations in, in KFC as similar to what we've seen here for Chipotle. Uh, it doesn't take much um, for a, a major decline in same store sales to occur, uh, or if I don't know if this is saying not much, it's it's a real you know uh, issue. Uh, but as you say. Back to uh, flat, and that's much better than than last year, which I think was down twelve percent. Is there anything about this business that interests you? You know, I'm usually the one that likes restaurant companies, even though I don't like to eat there. I mean, what's the what? Who are the quadruplets? The Pizza, uh, pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC, and there's one more. Is there one more? No, there used to be uh, also Long John Silver's and W. Okay. So it was. Uh, you're going to try to form yeah. some sort of use of uh, you know quintuplets or quadruplets here. I, I, I have I have owned a lot of triplets down to triplets. Oh, that's too bad. But I mean, I I couldn't tell you the last time I ate at any of their concepts. I mean, do they have them in Narnia? <laughs> in Narnia, actually, I, I I I it's probably the '90s. I don't remember. I mean, you know, and and where I am, I mean, you know, I can point you to. You know, a whole bunch of like, you know, oh, that that building used to be a Taco Bell and it's lying vacant, and that building used to be a, a Pizza Hut. So, uh, until about two minutes ago, I didn't even know that China was larger than the rest of uh, of of Yum Brand. So that's actually interesting to me. That there, are they truly an American concept anymore, or that's we're just selling pseudo American concept to the Chinese? That's interesting. Yeah, the, the empty Pizza Hut places are very distinctive. They are. They're easy to spot. <laughs> oh, with with the red roof, yeah, and, and yeah. the shape, and and uh, but or even if a new place goes in, there's one that's a it's a really nice um, Lebanese or Middle Eastern uh, cafe place up near where I am, and but it's like, well, this was obviously a Pizza Hut. <laughs> like, I'm. Does it have the same dingy lighting, dark sort of? Uh, interior? Yeah, actually, the the best one. It's it's a it's in, in where I the town where I live. It's a. Um, it's a Vietnamese uh, pho house, and it's it's good. It's good food, but it was previously a German schnitzel house. And when uh, the Vietnamese owners took it over, they changed nothing. <laughs> so you go in there. So the motif is German. It, it is the most bizarre place you've ever been. It's really now good I food, really want to go to the that. Waitresses are wearing Oktoberfest <laughs> uniforms. And it's, it's really good. It's a uh, Woodlawn Woodlawn Road in Guelph, Ontario. There we go. So. Uh, we talked a little bit uh, ago, an episode or two, whenever I was on talking about restaurants, and uh, the data from this quarter, again, is that it is reasonably challenging times for fast food in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That's really not where the growth in restaurants, and restaurants as a whole, have done phenomenally well. Uh, but it is more in the uh, fast casual, and, and in some cases, the upper end of, of the, uh, the scale. And 
McDonald's has done a great job, but uh, the other fast food places of late are not. I don't know if you want to go so far as to say they're struggling, but they're not. They're not growing sales. Yeah, and that's the same in Canada. There's a, there's one uh, company up there that uh, has a lot of brands. It's called MTY Food Group. Has a lot of these brands, and I mean they have just their same store sales has been plus or minus one percent as far back as I can remember. So, so it makes sense to separate what could be a still fast growing uh, company that is the China operations mm-hmm. of Yum. And what you want to do, hopefully, when you spin that off, is to have things in reasonably good shape. And so, the same store sales uh, looking flat is, is an improvement on a year ago. And the um, commentary was that uh, in this quarter, things are off to a good start and they're positive. And, and actually, I think um, Pizza Hut has been still negative uh, to like double digit. Uh, Ten or twelve percent, um, but that is that is beginning to turn around in China. That, that's the Chinese numbers. With Yum, you've got to look at all three of these brands, the U.S. and China. They're all different, and and then on top of that, there's India and there's some other, you know, Europe and and things like that. Just imagine how much worse this company would have done over the last say three four years if Taco Bell hadn't had. The, the growth and the successes that it has had with various food innovations with like the, the, the I'm, I'm being dead serious like the like the Doritos uh, locos tacos and taco shell and that kind of thing you make that face oh, just... that did huge business for Taco mm. Bell and and at various points I mean I think that's one of the things about businesses like this where and you know on the retail side you can look at gap where gap has you know gap old Navy and banana Republic and in any given year, one of those three is doing the heavy lifting, mm-hmm. and in the case of Yum Brands, for the last few years, Taco Bell has like if you're Taco Bell, you're looking at Pizza Hut and KFC, saying, "I don't know what's wrong with you guys. We're crushing it." Yeah, I, I think that uh, Jim had already talked about Franken Foods, and I guess they're, they're <laughs> sort of one of the masters. I was going to say of it. They're uh, using a lot of I Monsanto's think, products. I think you're for, I think you're forgetting the word delicious in the delicious <laughs> Franken Foods. <laughs> Uh, let's wrap up on Canada and thank you again to our listeners who had uh, sent in suggestions uh, for uh, places to go in Montreal for for Bill and myself. You had a great time up in Montreal, yes? I did. I did. We had uh, very nice weather, and uh, it was less. You know, the only disappointing part of it was it was less like Narnia than advertised. <laughs> there were no talking animals. Right. Um, I mean, it's ruled by a king or a queen or something, and there's perpetual winter elsewhere in in the country. Right. We are you had to keep a, going a little further north. That's as, probably in as the as countryside. Amer- All right, as Americans, this is our knowledge of the place. But I recommend that people go up there and and look beyond the talking animals and and see that there's uh, there's a lot going on. Um, I, I'm going to be spending a couple of days in Toronto. What, what do you got for me in terms of recommendations? Because I've got plenty of stuff from Montreal. Apparently, mm-hmm. there's a fireworks festival going on, mm-hmm. so that's that's going to be. I think, you, I think you've missed the jazz festival for this year up in I Montreal. Have. That's okay. Uh, I was there. Is that what you're there for? It? No, I was not there for it. I was in upstate New York, as I am every sort of Fourth of July uh, weekend, and, and we made a little trip up to Montreal from there because it was uh, just about two hours. Yeah, Montreal, good eating town. Toronto's a good eating town. Lots of places to good good food. I would say. If uh, you have young kids, youngish kids, uh, visit Canada's Wonderland, which is the uh, not Narnia Wonderland, but it's uh, basically the amusement park. Uh, if you like rides and roller coasters and shaking your fillings, that's the place to go. Um, 
you know, on the waterfront, take a boat tour on the waterfront. That's good. Uh, see if you can get Blue Jays tickets there because uh, the Sky Dome, sorry, Rogers Center. <laughs> sorry. Yes. <laughs> Um, Rogers, uh, that, that company paid a lot of money to put their name on that uh, you know what the, building. They, well, they bought, the, they own the building. You know that was per, that was built by six hundred million dollars of Canadian taxpayer money in the late eighties. Rogers bought it for twenty five million dollars. Your tax dollars at work, folks. Nice. Uh, yeah, well, those are Canadian dollars, though. Ah, uh, still <laughs> loonies, as they like to call mm. them in Canada. Really? Well, I don't know. My kids loonies and kept, toonies. My kids. Uh, their entire knowledge of Canada, I think, is derived from the show How I Met Your Mother, because one of the characters is Canadian. So that, <laughs> yes. that appears to be the only thing they know about Canada, other than the magic talking animals. And uh, so is Looney a thing that actually people do talk about? Loonies and Toonies, yep. Yeah. They were asking me about those. It's as good a place as any to wrap up. All right, next week I'm going to be on vacation, but I am pre-taping a week's worth of market fooleries. Uh, we're going to be doing a deep dive on a bunch of companies, a bunch of big, widely held stocks. So that'll be next week on Market Foolery. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.